Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Shannon Wizent has a nose for a bargain, uh, but when he bought a used grill at a, South, at a North Carolina auction, the severed human foot he found in its, amongst its ashes was not part of the deal. Soon the gruesome discovery becomes the toast of the infotainment world, and the new owner spies a golden opportunity to cash in on the media frenzy. Uh, and I'll just leave it there because there's just so much about this film that um, I'm going to enjoy our conversation, uh, having this conversation with one of the co-directors uh, of the film um, Finders Keepers. The co-director is Clay Tweel, and he joins us today here on Film School. Clay, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Um, you know, if there was ever... Uh, an interview that should start with the question, how in the hell did you hear about this? And uh, this would be the, the interview to, to ask that question. So uh, tell us, how did you find out about uh, Mr. Wisnet? And John Wood, and, yes. And John Wood, yes. So um, our producer, Ed Cunningham, was uh, he's a ESPN uh, college football analyst. And uh, that's his, uh, his side gig. To also producing movies, and uh, right after King of Kong, um, he was looking for the next project back in two thousand, late two thousand seven, two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and uh, he was on the road for a game, and, and he was in Oklahoma City, and he overheard these two guys in like a barbecue joint talking about how uh, this crazy story of these two guys fighting over the custody of a human leg, and and he just like couldn't believe what he was hearing so he went over and talked to him and and one of those guys actually ended up being from maiden north carolina and uh was able to put ed in touch with uh john and shannon um and ed flew out there and started uh started uh just like talking to the guys and and realizing from a very early stage that there was a lot more to the story than the surface level headlines um, John and Shannon are incredibly, as you can tell in the movie, they're very um, uh, open and honest, and, and the amount of candor that they had was was kind of uh, unbelievable. So we we knew early on that we could kind of get to a deeper story. Um, and uh, Ed uh, shot a little bit of footage, brought it back to uh, showed Seth Gordon, uh, one of our producers, and and myself, and that that started the journey back. Uh, Seven years ago, I was going to ask you how long this took because obviously in the film Finders Keepers, it it looks like there's quite a, there's quite a time arc involved in in the storytelling of the of the film. Did you have any sure. I, did yeah. Did you have any idea when you started? I mean, obviously, as a filmmaker, you recognize you had certainly with Shannon, you had a very colorful character, a guy who craves the spotlight. Obviously, you had to know he was going to be in on this. I mean, in in uh, involved in a way that you were looking for as a foil, if you will. Uh, John's a little different story. At the time when you met him, what was he like? John, by the way, John Wood is the uh, the man who's. Um, 
leg was lost. You know what? It sounds like uh, Brian might be calling in. So give me a second here. I'm just going to pull him up, okay? All right. Well, let's try this again. Uh, we are joined today by the co-directors of this incredible documentary. It's called Finders Keepers, and that would be Brian Carberry and Clay Tweel. Are you both there? I am here. Excellent. Yes. Very right, good. Well. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, uh, we appreciate it. We, we were just, uh, uh, Brian, we were just talking with Clay about kind of the setup, the circumstances of uh, how you found out about the uh, the story itself. And Clay was just describing Ed Cunningham's involvement and as well as uh, going to North Carolina. I was just asking about Shannon, what, an, what a remarkable sort of foil for a, for a film. Um uh, to it is, is a starting point for a documentary. Um, yeah, completely. Yeah. Well, I'll ask you. Um, yeah, now we were just getting to uh, an introduction of John Wood, the man who lost the leg. Uh, tell me about your initial sort of meetings with him. He seems like a fairly reserved person. Was it uh, was it a challenge to get him to commit to being a part of this? Um, you know, I I guess it was maybe a little easier for Shannon, but. Uh, you know, John, I think, was willing to tell his story, too, because there, there was so much that, uh, you know, he never got a chance to say back in the day when this was on the, you know, during the 15 minutes of fame, that I think both him and Shannon, you know, wanted a chance to, to tell their side. And I think uh, I think the difficulty wide in, um, you know, the family members, like John's sister, his mother, Shannon's wife. Right. So, so yeah, I understand it. Okay, I'm going to go to the, sort of the big picture part of uh, Finders Keepers. Uh, John, let's describe how John lost his lost his leg, and also describe kind of the underlying familial sort of tensions within the Wood family as as it relates to John's story. And I'll leave it to you, Clay, if you want to take that part of it. Sure. So what happened was uh, um, back in 2004, John was um, in a, a plane crash that uh, in which where he lost his leg, um, but his father, who was piloting the plane, and John was the co-pilot, John's father also died. Um, and so uh, John was coming off of um, trying to get his life back on track. He was dealing with uh, various drug addictions for for a while, um, and the plane crash was, was right at the time when he was trying to kind of pull his life back together, and, and it just kind of shattered his, his ability to do that, and also um, in losing your father, it's a very, you know, traumatic thing, and, and John kind of, in some ways, blamed himself for the plane crash, uh, and, um, you know, wrongfully, of course, but he, he just, uh, he was very broken up about it, and, um, and it kind of threw him back into the world of, of addiction and, um, you know, which was, again, very hard for his family. His sister and his mother um, were trying to take care of him and uh, the amount of kind of anguish and grief that he was feeling uh, over the plane, the plane crash mixed with the kind of background and upbringing. He feels like he could never really live up to uh, his his father's expectations of him. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a father son thread through the movie, which is, which is very powerful. Um, and, uh, kind of intermingled with the, 
the family strife between the surviving members of the Wood family. I, two things. It's important to point out that Tom, his 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 uh, dad, was a big personality, well known in the community of Maiden, uh, and and at the time of the crash, John was, I guess, he says he was the co-pilot. So it, it's under it's kind of a understandable reaction that he thought he could have done more. And I mean, I don't know what the exact circumstances are, but certainly the consequences of it where he took, uh, it sounds like he took a tremendous amount of responsibility for the death of his father, who was, as I said, this big personality, big big part of his uh, definition of his life. Um, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just going to say, oh, yeah, go oh, ahead, Brian. No. No, no. you quit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely, like the the... For those who are familiar with uh, kind of North Carolina, it's it, Maiden is right there in that kind of furniture alley. Um, and uh, uh, Brian, what was the name of the furniture company that uh, uh, Jonathan Ethan Allen? So he was one of the you know bigwigs at Ethan Allen, yeah. and uh, you know it, it made them um, a very popular family within the small community. And and his dad was certainly a uh, a kind of very beloved and popular figure um, in the in this small town. We're speaking with the co-directors of the film Finders Keepers. That's Brian Carberry and Clay Tweel. Uh, also, you edited the film, you produced it. Uh, there's a lot you guys were uh, both a part of in the making of this film. Uh, but I want to go back. So we've sort of established with the Wood family, sort of this uh, important established family in this community. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Shannon Wisnett is growing up in that same community, uh, sort of an outsider, not, his family's not nearly as successful, and craving attention. Uh, Brian, talk about it, the, sort of the dynamics of, of Shannon's life and how, how all this kind of played into what happened on that fate, during that fateful auction, if you will. Um, yeah, and I think one thing that sums it up nicely is the fact that when these these two guys' paths cross um, and they finally come into contact with each other, um, Shannon knows full well who John Wood is, and John doesn't know who Shannon is. There you go. They're going to the same high school. Um, John was this cool kid, the rich kid, um, and Shannon, you know, outskirts of town, um, you know, grew up in poverty, um, you know, learning how to uh, horse trade, as he calls it, to, uh, you know, flea market and all that stuff uh, with his dad from a young age. Um, and, uh, you know, he would he would hear of John Wood, and, uh, you know, as, as uh, Shannon said, if you didn't have your birthday party at John Wood's house, you were a nobody. Um, and so all of a sudden, uh, Shannon ends up with a piece of John Wood, uh, quite literally, and... Um, is just another strange thread we had of uh, these two guys coming into uh, very real contact with each other. Right. I, I, wa- I want to say about Finders Keepers, I would say, <clears throat> give or take, the first half hour, 50, 20 minutes, half hour of the film, it's it's a funny movie. I mean, in th- that first part of the film, it's uh, these characters are are almost characters of what you would expect of people that are expectations about people who live uh, in this part of uh, of the world but it it doesn't it and one of the great things that you've been able to do with this story is to slowly but surely turn this into something much more than kind of the a freak show 
Um, during during the, I'm curious, uh, and so jump ball on this question. At what point did you start to see sort of the pathos and and the and the different threads that are running through both John and Shannon's life that would make it something more than just kind of a, a, a comedic romp through this very unusual story? Well, yeah, I think that that's something that that was uh, found pretty early on in those early interviews that Ed was doing, uh, you know, coming back and showing uh, Seth um, and and talking about the story because they were they were so open and honest. And like Brian said, the their um, want of trying to tell the deeper story behind what they they considered the media just like chopping up their sound bites and and kind of just playing off of two hicks, you know, fighting over a body part. Um, they, they, they were, they were anxious to kind of get into their, their past, their past and, uh, and kind of what led them to, uh, legitimize this, this custody battle. Um, and so, you know, for us, it was, it was a tricky tone to deal with editorially. Uh, where, you know, John and Shannon are very funny guys. Um, and so we wanted to honor that, um, but we didn't want to try to cross over that line and and be laughing at them. We wanted to be as much as we could laughing with them. So and they I, are. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Go I was going to say, and I think I think they're again such naturally funny people, and they were so used to uh, telling these one-liners that would crack up Genie Moose on CNN or Wolf or uh, you know any of these. They have their act down, and they're. You know, even in everyday life, they're just amazing with the one-liners, and it's awesome to hang out with them because they're so entertaining. Um, but I think, you know, the challenge became, you know, letting them know that they could just be themselves with us um, because they were so used to being on all these crazy shows. Um, and I think they really, uh, you know, relished that once they realized they could uh, kind of let their guards down a bit. Right. Uh, as we alluded to in the introduction, uh, Shannon is a—he fancies himself an entrepreneur, and that's how he comes to know about this auction at this uh, storage facility where there is a what do they call it—a smoker? It's like a barbecue. This so you barbecue smoker. Smoker. He buys this thing. He buys this smoker. Apparently, doesn't open it until he gets home. And that's when he opens it up and finds this severed human. I'll call it half of a leg below the knee, right? Uh, that 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 is about the extent of the uh, of the appendage yeah. involved here. Um, and uh, so it's at that point that sort of that's the part of the film where it's just unbelievable. It you know that that all these things are kind of happening, and then it's at that point as we talked about Shannon sort of being on the outskirts of maiden society, decides that this is maybe his his ticket to uh, to uh, fame and fortune. So tell us a little bit about that because I think we need to get into Shannon because he initially he comes off as just kind of a a buffoon, but again as this film unfolds. Other, you begin to see other things about him that make him the person that we we, we you know that we get that we see in the in the film. Um, so talk about a little bit about that side of him, his sort of need for attention and and this fame and fortune. Um, go ahead, Brian, if you if you'd like. Sure, and um, Clay had alluded to uh, the, the father son thread. Um, 
that kind of ran through uh, Finders Keepers. And it, you know, up front, it's very apparent with John and the plane crash and his father. Um, but that was also something we realized with Shannon just as deep, which kind of cosmically connected these two, uh, you know, seemingly foils. And um, so Shannon had kind of a rough time growing up with his father and um, a lot of neglect and um, some abuse. Uh, and so Shannon was just always trying to impress his dad, entertain his dad, get on his dad's good side, uh, make his dad laugh. And um, so it kind of became deeply ingrained in Shannon. And, um, you know, especially I think that mixed with the uh, the horse trading that his, his father taught him. Um, yeah. Shannon has developed a larger-than-life uh, P.T. Barnum personality. Yeah. Um, you know, because he's equated getting attention with making the sale, with making his father laugh and everything. And, you know, it, he's been programmed to find odd discoveries at these flea markets and make the most of them. Um, so when he gets a leg in a barbecue smoker, um, that's exactly what he does. But by, by the way, just uh, for my own, I, uh, who was the uh, the comedian that's referred to? It? Owen, what was his name? Uh, Gene Tracy. Oh, is that who it was? Gene the, Tracy. Is that who? Okay, yeah, that the one-liner guy that you refer to in the film, the guy with the, you show his album cover. The, yeah. Yeah. And apparently in that part of the country, I've never heard of the guy, but apparently he was famous for being this guy with a, had a one-liner for everything. And that seemed to be. I hear he was big at check stops. Yeah, I guess he must if have been. He's kind of a Rodney Dangerfield-esque sort of shtick or a, you know, Henny Youngman kind of, you know, sort of comedic yeah. rhythm. Yeah, meets Larry the Cable Guy. Meets Larry the Cable Guy. So, and, and uh, by the way, uh, by the way, we're speaking with uh, the co-directors of the film uh, Finders Keepers, a documentary, amazing, remarkable documentary, uh, and the, the, the co-directors are Brian Carberry and Clay Tweel. They're joining us today here on Film School. If people want to find out how to see um, Finders Keepers, Tell us uh, how how we can well, what platforms is this on now? Well, right now we are out on uh, Amazon, uh, Instant Video, and iTunes, and we will be coming to Netflix on March fifteenth. Okay. Um, we had a, a nice theatrical run back in September, yeah. and then um, we were on VOD for a little while, but. Now it's uh, those are probably the easiest three places to go watch the movie. And you can find out as well by going to Facebook. What the Facebook link for that is? I think it's Finders Keepers Film. Okay, uh, okay. Facebook. Either that or Doc. <laughs> I think. Oh, yeah, I th- no, I think you're right. It's it is Finders Keeper. <laughs> Uh, dot com. I mean, Facebook dot com and Finders Keeper Film. So you can find out there, uh, and I and I've seen it on iTunes. I think you you may have mentioned that as well. So it's uh, it's well worth. I want to go back to Shannon for just a second because uh, even despite kind of the uh, what you could say is why is he holding on to this leg? This just seems like such a um, a churlish and immature thing for him to do. He's always a likable guy. He's throughout the film. He's this oversized person and oversized personality, and I think that's what gives um, Finders Keepers this this you know kind of driving energy. Is the both of them are likable. You want this to be resolved, but it's almost like the longer this goes on, in terms of their, well, I should probably say John wants his leg back, and he's asking Shannon to get his leg back because. Uh, it's his. No! <laughs> so so that drives so much of the film and so much of the tension in the film. But Shannon's always likable. I, I always felt, you know, like 
he was just a guy who just this was it. This was his his chance. And with John, yeah. he just seemed like a tortured soul to me. Um, well, to me, I I think like Shannon. Um, what makes Shannon so interesting is he's a little bit like uh, Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down. Yes, like the the the, the braggadocio kind of uh, boasting persona yeah. is so paper thin yeah. that you can that you can kind of see right through it and and understand that there's there's deeper things going on, um, and it just makes him kind of immediately a, a, a kind of complex and and layered person um so uh you know i i personally like both of them, um both of them yeah. uh throughout the movie um but i think uh yeah shannon definitely has that that going for him yeah it, it is it is and again i mean we're only really and i'm going to let our listeners know that they're really we're really only scratching the surface in terms of the film's ability to, um, as I said, begin to peel back kind of the layers of these two men, and and you begin to, as you said, Brian, see the similarities as much as there are there are differences between the two of them in their personalities and such. They're very much alike in a lot of ways. I I also want to talk about the women in the film. They they play a pretty important role. Yeah. John's mom. Um, Shannon's wife. There's a bunch of women that are sort of there for them. But I'll go. Go ahead. I, feel free to talk about uh, the relationship that John and his wife. I mean, I'm sorry, his mother uh, have. I, yeah, I think that the the female point of view on this film is is huge and and supremely important. Both uh, Shannon's wife, as somebody who's giving co- like a kind of outsider's context to all the things that he's doing and saying. Um, like she's, she's very close to him and knows him better than anybody, uh, and, uh, can, can in ways be, uh, the kind of proxy voice for the audience, I think. Um, she serves as that, and certainly, um, Marion and, and, uh, Peg Wood, uh, are the same. They're just kind of able to, to, to be very articulate and, uh, incisive and say, like, what like this is ridiculous you know like they they have that kind of confrontation at the uh John and Shannon to do at the general store the dollar general store yes. and uh John's sister Marion is just you know she can't believe it she's like laughing and putting her her face uh in her hands um and so their their perspective on the story really i think gives it a lot of cred- credibility um, and I, I think I think that was one of the big, the the crew's big surprise um, in the telling of the story. Once we started filming, um, and same with Ed was we, we knew we had these two larger than life, you know, male characters. But once we got there and started uh, interviewing the supporting characters, um, we realized, uh, you know, they were just they deserved a movie of their own. And uh, you know, Peg was larger than life in her own way, and Marion was probably one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life, uh, just with this uh, incredible wisdom and wit. Uh, and uh, I think that's when we knew that we had uh, more than the, uh, the sum of the parts. Well, I could go on and on because I, I just love your film the, the, the about the story, but I want people to watch this film, uh, Finders Keepers. It, it As you said, it came out in September, October. I know it was around the country. Uh, wildly praised and 98% on Rotten Tomatoes for people who care about this kind of that, that kind of a rating, but it is 
regarded as one of the best documentaries of the film of the sorry one of the best documentaries of the year and um very surprised and one of the reasons i i asked you to come on the show today was because uh in my mind looking over a list of nominees for all these different various awards i know it's been nominated a few places but certainly deserves uh a lot more attention than uh it did at the academy or the spirit awards so um just so people see this film it's it's a wonderful you'll be entertained and you will you will gain insight and uh, you know as as great films will do uh, provide you with an insight into the kind of the human psyche and the the way that we all are vulnerable in ways that uh, may not be readily apparent when we meet someone and there's things that are going on here that it's 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 more than just a funny kind of laugh out loud at people's foibles kind of film um you too uh, clay and brian uh this is your first collaboration together as di- directors um is this was there a division of labor how did you work in terms of because i know you seven year period that's an awful long time for one person to devote to a project was there tell me about how you went about sort of over the period of time of putting together finders keepers yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, our mentality is kind of like whatever it takes to get get it done. We uh, we all do various different things, whether it's we all shoot and uh, edit and uh, do graphics. Um, and so, uh, you know, Brian and I met back on a movie uh, called Make Believe back in 2010 um, that uh, that I directed, and then you know. The, the process took so long and and uh brian it was really brian's uh passion for the story that kind of reignited it and um uh you know his his desire to go back out and try to like find a way to to have a resolution to the story that that really kickstarted um the project back into gear and and he did a lot of the the shooting with our our great dp adam hobbs mm-hmm. um and so uh that was that was that was largely brian and and I was kind of on in the early stages and and then uh helped come back in for some editorial work brian was what was it about this that you you stayed committed to what was it about this project um, you, you know it was just uh it was so engaging and when I had heard Ed talk about it um years prior um it was just one of those things that wouldn't go away and um just the you know there's all kinds of stories that deserve to be uh told out there um but i think if you keep thinking of something and um you know this was one that i don't think any of us could let go and um we just saw that there was the ability for so much potential and um And, you know, on, on John and Shannon's side, them wanting to tell the story and us saying, okay, we're going to give you a chance to tell that story, um, that if we had just walked away halfway through, um, I don't think any of us would have been uh, too satisfied with that. Can I just make a comment uh, in regard to that? Because if you had walked away halfway through this process, in a way your film is a critique of the celebrity culture that we all know and at some point are horrified and revile, revile at this edit because we would have just known there were these two guys arguing over who's got custody of a severed amputated leg 
but in in a in a way that sort of that idea of celebrity that everybody you know was hoping for that fifteen minutes, and that was sort of Shannon's motivation in some ways. But at, but in fact, your film is is like other films that um, that I've seen uh, in the in the regard that they get past the celebrity, they get past the person who sued McDonald's for uh, for uh, uh, burning themselves with their coffee. They get they get past it, and you get to understand that there is a lot more to this. And there's a at the end of the day, it's just sort of th- this humanity that comes out, and this critique of our celebrity uh, of a celebrity driven freakish freak show driven um, media. Sure, and I think you know as a you know as, as a if you want to make a good documentary. I think humanity is always the goal anyway. And so if you have these subjects that are larger than life and used to being on the 24-hour news cycle, um, I think it, I think it was just our mission to say, okay, like, let's, let's see what's under the hood. Um, you know, on the headlines, uh, John should get this leg back, obviously, but what if, what if Shannon's right? You know, like what if, what if Shannon does have a claim to this? Can we tell that story? Yeah. Well, it, it's a remarkable film and a remarkable story. And um, I'll just ask: Are you guys working on anything right now? Any, anything? Uh, yeah, I uh, I actually just uh, premiered uh, another film at Sundance called Gleason, um, and uh, it uh, got bought by uh, Amazon and Open Road, and it'll be out uh, in in theaters hopefully the latter part of this summer. Is it a doc or a or narrative? It's a doc. It's about the former NFL player Steve Gleason, who uh, right around the same time that he finds out that he's diagnosed with ALS, uh, he finds out his wife is pregnant. And so he starts filming these kind of video journals uh, as a gift to his unborn child uh, to let him know who he is um, before he can no longer communicate. And it really becomes this very harrowing, uh, inspirational, like life-affirming story of, of struggling over adversity. Brian, how about yourself? Yeah, I've just um, been developing some, uh, some narratives, uh, longer narratives at the moment, um, in addition to uh, directing some uh, shorter stuff. Didn't, uh, didn't feel like hopping into another three-year ordeal just yet. Yeah, I, well, that's, again, <laughs> my, my hat's off to documentary filmmakers for just exactly what you're talking about this idea of chasing a story that may or may not blow up in your face never right. really knowing for sure where this is headed so many times so many great documentaries have been about chasing a rainbow <laughs> that turned out in unexpected ways to be something really special and I, I, my, I tremendous amount of courage and I completely understand why and I see more and more of this in documentary filmmaking is you see two people directing or two people involved in the in the in the really driving a project because a commitment like this is just insane on on economic levels social levels all kinds of levels uh but uh we're all the better for having uh you having made finders keepers it's uh it's a wonderful film and congratulations well, thank to you. both of you yes okay so you can yeah, thanks yeah you're welcome um Facebook is a good place to go, but you can watch it on Amazon, iTunes, and just look and for And soon Netflix. And soon Netflix. All right, guys. Well, thank you uh, for being on Film School today. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank for you so me. much.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.